Welcome to the My Why Podcast, where educational storytellers Jesse Mann and Kristen Travers discuss identity-defining moments with special guests. Inspiration ensues. Okay, today is a special day. We are back in the pod pad where, I'm not going to lie, we're sitting at my kitchen table. We're very excited to have Michaela Henschel with us, former news anchor. She actually interned at eTalk Toronto. She's a world traveler. She's just back from seven months in Australia, ordered home by the prime minister because of COVID. Michaela also is going to share with us her experience as she is a survivor of sexual abuse. We're going to be talking about everything mental health today, about conquering and diving in and leaping towards your dreams. If you are somebody who has experienced uh, sexual abuse, sexual assault, thoughts of suicide, all of those um, tough topics are what we are going to be covering today. So Michaela, thank you for driving down from Edmonton. Of course. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm already going to cry from that <laughs> intro. I'm like, not already. <laughs> we are truly honored. And um, you have been a big part of why my why kind of started with such a bang because you really, you know, were up to help us do promo. Yep. You advertised you for us. supported us a lot. And you believed in the people that we were believing in. So we'll talk a little bit about Tyler and you've met Jordy as well. Yes. And you were there in the beginning. And so to have you now sitting at the kitchen table here on the podcast, we did not know we were going to be podcasters. We're definitely not your natural choice. <laughs> <laughs> as I stumble through my intro, the person who will be sniffling in the background is Kim Caprell in our studios. He's in and doing a little bit of video for us. And he is also great friends with Michaela. So we know that today is going to be a bit of a tearjerker, and um, we're truly honored that you are willing to share some of the personal struggles that you've had. When I met you, I didn't know about any of them. Today is going to be a prime example of you just don't know what people are going through sometime. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so thank you again so much for coming and for getting super raw and real with us before it even happens. Yeah, thank you for having me. You guys are, yeah, like you said, inspired me to actually get better and it's because of you guys that I am in a good place today so I want to thank you guys for you know doing that for me because that's you you truly changed my life you guys are the reason why I got help because I saw you guys featured Tyler and I remember seeing his story and I was saying well and I was in such a bad place yet I'm promoting all of these mm -hmm. mental health works and you know it was near um, Bell Let's Talk Day and I remember looking at the camera and saying you know if you're in need call this and I'm like how am I saying this when inside I'm not okay right. and then I remember yeah Tyler's story specifically and I just remember him saying like you just don't think you can do it but you can and that's what I remember there was a night that I had a really big breakdown where um kind of before it all unraveled and I you know, was really, really suicidal and, um, you know, I'd come, wanted to go through with it that night, but it was because of that. And I said, no, if he can get through this, I have to try. And the next day I called my mom and I went to treatment. So that honestly, truly, you you guys changed my life. Tyler changed my life. Jordy changed my life. I love that kid. He <laughs> He's incredible. I tell everyone about him. And it's just, it's, I want to tell my story because it's other people who have told their stories that have now helped me get to where I am today. And that's the reason I'm healthy today is because other people were brave enough to come forward before me. Well, and we thank you for being brave and supporting, you know, Tyler and Jordy and, and yourself. Like that I think is the biggest challenge is to actually seek help it for is. yourself. It is. And I think that's, I suppressed my mental health for so long that eventually I just blew up. 
And that's just kind of what happened. And I'm covering these stories of mental health and, you know, and you guys were doing such an amazing job. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, ah, I could be one of those people. Like, I'm just like, and that's the thing is you don't know what people are going through because, you know, I've had people say, you know, when I do tell them my story, they're going, what? No, you have it all. Like, and I'm just like, no, like you have no idea. Like, I'm not going to post a photo on my Instagram of me lying in bed for 17 hours because I'm too depressed to get out of bed like you know it's just what I want to put up but so it's it's hard for when people say are you sick and it's like Mm. yes you just can't tell so I think the stigma around mental health is getting better but it's still there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and that's something I've noticed within this past year Mm-hmm. Well, and reducing stigma is something that mm-hmm. we're insanely passionate about, and we know you're insanely passionate about. And I just want to go back to um, that conversation that we had. Um, we walk into the newsroom, and like you command respect when you're in there. You know what you're doing, and you are so confident, and you truly are so good at that former oh, position. You. And I've been very um, loud and vocal <laughs> about trying to push Michaela back into <laughs> um, being on TV. But we'll talk a little bit about yeah. why that is something that um, you love, but something that maybe is really tough for you. We're in there. We have this great experience. We always do when we were with you. Um, Tyler shares this powerful story. And then I think the next time I talked to you, you were making this big change and you just said, if I remember correctly, and you can um, obviously um, correct me if I'm wrong. When Tyler said, you just have to say like, I need help. Yeah. And that one liner, I need help. And then everything just kind of um, falls into place after that if you ask somebody the right person exactly and that's actually the exact line I used my mom I called her and I said I need help and I did that I was on the floor crying at the news station and I just said I, I can't do this anymore like I I can't I can't do this on my own anymore and that, those were the words just as I need help and those three words changed my life mm-hmm. absolutely and I'm so glad I had such a good support system that helped me get the help that I needed, um, which is I'm very grateful for. Because I know um, I was able to go to a private healthcare um, center for my mental health, which is very costly. So I'm very, very um, grateful that I have, you know, family that provided that for me because that's not the case for everyone. And um, I'll talk about it a little bit later. But I was also in the Alberta Hospital, which is the public care system. And just the difference I saw between the two is just so unjust. And it just, and it's just sparked this thing in me that I'm like, there's so much more we need to do in this mental health field. There's so much more because for me, I, it's not fair for someone who has money to get better treatment and immediately, whereas I had to wait seven months to get into a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. for free. Like, and, and like, it just, it, at that point it's too late because I was already in the hospital when they called me for my psychiatrist appointment. I was like, no, you guys are way too late. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's kind of become my focus. I really want to talk about, you know, the differences and, um, there's just a lot of change. I think the stigma is getting better, but I think it's not just about talking about it anymore. It's, it's getting that help and do? accessible yeah. help. Yeah. So you say to your mom, I need help walk us through what happens are you able to drive to edmonton Does was your mom you, expecting you that sorry yeah. was your mom expecting that like no, does she have any all. idea that no. you were struggling um i started at the beginning so when i was really young i was sexually abused um multiple times by a family member and i those are my first memories of my life mm. which is 
horrific. I would never wish that upon anyone. And although I was four years old, um, I don't, I don't remember a lot because I think your, your brain really blocks it out. Mm -hmm. But I mean, my first memories are of me getting assaulted Mm -hmm. and, you know, and so that's really tough. But after I was assaulted, um, I'm also, I feel really lucky because my um, abuser did go to jail and um, was caught. Do I think he did enough time? No, but I know for so many women, they don't get that justice. So I'm happy I did get that justice, but it was still hard. And then basically after court happened, I just suppressed it. I never Mm -hmm. talked about it again for about 14 years. So I didn't tell anyone until I was about 18. And to me, that was like my biggest, darkest secret. I was like, if people find this out about me, they'll think I'm disgusting. It's the shame, especially like I'm like a six year old and I'm like, no one could ever know this. They'll think I'm so gross. Like it's it's that shame that you have. So I just I never talked about it, suppressed it, suppressed it, suppressed it. I was dealing with a whole bunch of other mental health issues. My uh, chronic depression. Uh, I was dealing with an eating disorder at the time, um, insane panic attacks. And then in December of 2018, I was at a family function and my abuser showed up mm-hmm. and my body went into complete shock, like a complete, it froze. I didn't even see his face. He walked past me and I, I just knew it was him. And I said, I, I froze. I, I couldn't do anything. And I just, I, but I knew it was him. So I walked into the other room and I said to another family member, I said, who is that? And she goes, it's him. And she goes, are you okay? And I said, no, get me out of here. I will never forget this. I never spoke to him and I don't think I would have wanted to, but he sat down and watched me have a panic attack. And I'm like, I hope that those actions like spoke louder than any words I could have, Mm -hmm. because that's 24 years later Mm -hmm. and you're looking at what you've done to me. Like, I can't even be in this house right now because you're here. And, like, it was awful. So from that point on, I went into a deep spiral from December until February when I asked for help. And it just was continuously worse. Um, I started just abusing um, substances, you know, just to numb it out. I would be drinking all the time, smoking a lot of weed, just, just to suppress it. And I just, I had no motivation to do anything. I didn't want to go into work. I was teaching dance at the time. I, I was canceling all the time because I just, I had nothing in me. And so I got to the point where it was one night and I was like, I was so suicidal. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah, it's going to happen. And I sat in my bathroom and, and then those words, and I said, nope, if he can do it, I can do it. I just got to ask for help. And I said, I told myself, I said, Michaela, tomorrow you're going to ask for help. And so I went and my coworker and former uh, roommate was driving me to work that day because it was so cold. My uh, car wouldn't start. And I just, I didn't plan on telling her, but it was just so in me. And I just blurted it out, all of it out. And I was like, I was like, I feel like if I just tell you this now, I have to go through with my plan of asking for help because now someone knows. So that's what brought me there. Um, And it was really hard, but the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you go, you call, you call your mom, and your mom says what? She goes, okay, I'm coming to Lloyd. Wow. And I said, no, no, you don't need to. And she goes, nope, I need to come. And so she came that night. 
Um, I still had to work for a few more weeks. Just um, there's some staffing issues. Yeah. So I just, you know, but I told the general manager, I said, I'll be here, but I can't be here. Right. Like I will do my work, but I can't go on camera. I'm not okay. Um, and I'm just letting you know when my boss comes back, I'm leaving. Like I, I need to go away for a little while. So my mom came and she kind of was like, what's going on? And then we just started looking at treatment centers that night. So, and I think that was in February and I started treatment in, um, early March. See, and that is so important to say, like when you said, I need help, you got help right away. Yeah. Your mom came. And I think that is a big takeaway is like, if someone says they need help, you now. be there yeah. or you get someone to be there yeah. or you navigate them into the correct facility or whatever, right? Like whatever works, you just have to be there. You have to show up. Yeah. Show up. And so you get to the, ho- you get to the hospital, the private center. Yeah. So it was a few weeks later. I went in for a, um, I guess, consultation kind of to see or an intake and you know I'm doing this form and you know and then so they kind of assess you and all these Mm -hmm. things and then you kind of see what program you would be best suited in then when they called me back they're like okay well we think you would be best suited for your trauma our trauma program and I said but I don't have any trauma Mm -hmm. I'm like what do you mean I'm like but no I'm just meant like I just have depression like I don't have any trauma and they're like no, you scored quite high on the PTSD. Right. Like, so I was eventually, yeah, diagnosed with PTSD from my sexual assault 24 years later. Um, so yeah, I got there and um, I went to a center in Edmonton called Homewood Health and it was incredible. Good. It was absolutely incredible. But it was, it was a lot because I went from suppressing everything my whole life to having to go to eight hours of therapy a day. Right. And... That became, at first, it was just a roller coaster of emotion because at first you get there and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get better. I'm going to be better at, when I'm done this. Mm. Uh, that's not the case. Mental health is an ongoing, for, it's going to be there for the rest of your life. And so when it did get tough and it was just too much to bring up everything all at once and um, I ended up um, just, I couldn't do it anymore again. And um I overdosed and I went, I missed a few days of treatment and then they kept calling me. So I went in and they said, I sat right in with the psychiatrist and I told him what happened and he goes, okay. And we were right across from the U of A hospital and he goes, okay, well, I think you should go to the hospital. And I wasn't expecting that. I was like, no, no, I'm fine. Like I'm alive today. Like it didn't work. Um, He's like, no, no. And I said, no, I said, no, I'll be fine. He goes, okay, well, actually I'm forming you. You Mm -hmm. don't have a choice. And I was like, Oh, and then so he walked me over to the hospital and he got me right in. And again, I thought I was in a because I was in a pretty clear headspace that morning. I don't know how from what happened the night before, but I went in there being like, no, I'll just go back to treatment and we'll just get back on track. And then all of a sudden they're like admitting me to the Alberta hospital. And I, I was like, I think that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, I'm sick. I have, because I told my uh, my psychiatrist, I'm like, I don't need to be in here. He goes, Michaela, they wouldn't put you in here. You know how much it costs for them to put you in here? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was a really big awakening. But it was hard to see when I was in the hospital, the care that was provided there versus the care I got in private. It just, 
you know, in my private care, I was almost in classes every day learning about the brain, how it works and why, why things happen, why, you know, you have the fight or flight and why your frontal cortex will turn off and, or, and, you know, you can't think. And so I'm learning all these things and it's, it's an interesting cause I'm like, oh, it's actual science. Like it's mm-hmm. in my brain. Like this is actually happening. It's not just my emotions. And, you know, when I'm in the hospital, I'm like, they just gave me medicine and then I don't know what it was. And then I'm like, okay, so what do I do? They're like, whatever you want. I'm like, so there's no classes. They're like, no, a doctor will be by at some point. I'm like, I just, I couldn't believe the, like the difference in care. And it just was so, so astonishing to me. And it just makes me so angry. Mm -hmm. It makes me so angry that not everyone can have the same experience I had. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's I think, a little like you're not bleeding. How do we how do we fix it? Yeah. Yeah, and they're just dealing with the acute stuff, but there still is so many. Like, I think when you get to have those experiences, you become an advocate. Yeah. And you realize how shitty the system is. It's so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Even, you know, people in my life that deal with mental health and, you know, hearing their stories about going through the system and then being just, you know, returned home without seeing a doctor or it's just these people aren't nice. And, you know, even when I was in the emergency um, psych ward, um, I even noticed some nurses not being very nice to, you know, there's stigma and there's, you know, especially towards people who um, I think have um, addiction issues and mental Mm -hmm. health. And obviously those go hand in hand. Um, But you just still see it, right? They're just not treated the same a lot of the times. And I I can't speak for every healthcare worker, but I mean, I saw it myself that day. And ever since that experience, I'm just like... This is not fair. This keeps Kristen up at night. Yes, yeah, 100%, I can imagine. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Um, so I love that you learned about PTSD and you learned that there was a reason for your behavior and there's yes. a reason for that. And it seems like you kind of negated the seriousness of your condition for quite some time, which I mean goes with suppressing a yes. lot of stuff. Yeah, and it was like I had been dealing with depression since I had moved to Toronto and that would have been five years ago, but I didn't know. And I remember telling someone, I think I'm depressed, and they go, No, you're not depressed. I've been depressed. You're not depressed. <laughs> and I was like It's like gaslighting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So then I just thought, oh well I can't be depressed then. This person told me I'm not depressed, so I just thought, oh, I'm just emotional. And then, but then people, you're so negative, and you're so, and I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed, like, and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. You're telling me I'm not depressed, and then I was dealing with um, a family member who was going through some really tough mental health struggles, and I became that person that that person leaned on, um, while also suppressing my mental right. health. And so it was actually, I had one of my first panic attacks after an incident happened and I didn't even think, I just drove to the doctor. I was in complete distress. I didn't have an appointment. They just looked at me and they're like, okay, we'll get you in a room. And I was like, I I, I need medicine. Like I can't. Um, But that was five, four years ago. And I just started full time on my medicine in this past February because it's such a, Mental health is like you take your medicine, you think you're okay, and then you go off it, yeah. and you're like, no, I don't need this. I'm right. good. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, no, I am feeling yeah. like suicidal again, and it's not good, and it's just this. But so I've had to come to terms recently that I need medicine. And Do you think that some of that, like when when I think of exactly what you're describing about 
you take the medicine and then there's, well, I'm cured. And so I think that the stigma plays into, okay, I've taken the pills, I'm cured. Now I quit the pills, I'm better. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's okay to be on pills. I mean, I'm on pills for my liver for the rest of my life. Yep. And I'm okay with that. I, you know, people don't judge based on that. No. And it's okay to be on pills for the rest of your life yeah. for mental health. Yeah. Mental health may for many people be a lifelong a lifelong battle. Yeah. And it, it is. For it mo- is. Like it, yeah. it is no different than a heart condition or no different than a liver condition. Exactly. You still need to treat it whether or not that's medication or mm-hmm like counseling or whatever, or the combination of the two. But I think that's really, really hard. And I think people say, well, I'm not taking my medication because then I have a stigma of being Mm -hmm. depressed or like, I have patients that, um, kind of lied to us that like they were on antidepressants and they're like, I didn't want to tell you that because I didn't want you to think that I'm depressed or I can't cope or, and I was like, you know, that's, that lets me know you can. That lets me know you can get help and that mm-hmm. lets me know that you you need something and that's no different than, you know, like your liver condition. Even to say, okay, I've taken the pills, I'm better now, the language of that I think is toxic. Mm. I'm better yeah. now. You know what? You were great before. You just needed a little help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Even exactly. just the language we use is still mm-hmm. so detrimental mm-hmm. to people's recovery, I think. Michaela, going back um, just for our listeners and... Uh, how did, did you speak up? How did he end up in jail? How did that whole process unfold? Um, he was caught, um, by another family member. Um, and then we were questioned about it. Yeah. Okay. So it came out. Um, so I, to be honest, I don't really have much memory of that. Um, I couldn't tell you the full story and I don't remember much of the court process. I was so young, but, um, yeah, I'm very thankful that he did time. Um, wish it could have been more, but, you know, take what you can get. Right, right. Oh, that's, I thank you for sharing that because that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot. And I think there's so many people that will benefit from hearing that story because mm-hmm. you are such an amazing, wonderful, charismatic woman. Mm-hmm. And like you're a world travel traveler and, and you would see, you would look at you and say like, she's got it all. You and we've talked about that. You confidence. exude confidence. That's so crazy because my, <laughs> I have the worst self-confidence. I have body dysmorphia. Right. I have, you know, so this is all just like a facade. And it, um, last year when I was in treatment, um, I was receiving, um, uh, sorry, payment through my benefits, um, because I was on leave and I remember getting my payment stopped and I got a call from the insurance and she said, well, you know, we looked at your Instagram, you don't look sick. Oh. And they stopped my money. Are you serious? I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to just show you like what I actually look like? Like most of the time, like, um, yeah, I post a picture a week when that's the one outing a week I can physically get myself to do. And it's like, yeah, you don't look sick. So, well, and it's hard to shake that facade. I am very much like a recovering perfectionist because I did have a lot of trauma and all that kind of stuff. And that's why we, we obviously love each other. And, um, but I am a recovering perfectionist and I made sure that my hair looked great. 
my clothes were great. I was the same size that everyone yes. wanted to be. Like, and if I gained weight, it was too much. And like, there's a lot of, of emotional turmoil that goes into kind of letting go of that facade. Oh, absolutely. And I'm kind of in the process of trying to let go of my perfectionism. Right. And it was funny because when I came home from my travels, my mom was like, I think you're a perfectionist. Like, this hmm. is like maybe a little bit of a problem. And I was like, me? No. And then I Googled the symptoms and I was like, oh, Yes. Yes, I am a perfectionist. And And you know, you excel at your career. You excel at life. Yes. And that's a a cover up. Yeah, it was. And you know, I just, you know, because I was starting in my career and stuff, I didn't want to be sick. I just, but it was almost like the further along I got, the like sicker I got and the like more I put pressure on myself to be thinner, to, you know, look good and to... And it was just like, it got so bad that like there was days that I just like, I wouldn't go and I'd cancel plans because I just didn't like the way it looked. And I still do that. And it's working on it. Which is just crazy to me. You know, people don't, I wish you could see you like I see you or like we see you because you would just walk out that door in sweatpants and a ratty tee oh, and yeah, be like, you... I got this. Because, <laughs> like I said, you exude confidence. You are beautiful on the outside. My favorite thing is how beautiful you are on the inside. Oh, thank you. And I just wish, yeah, I wish that everybody could see themselves like their best friend sees them or yeah. like their family sees them. Yeah. And I wish people would be more honest about that. Like when I was your age, I'm, I'm a little older than you, Kayla. <laughs> yeah, we had a bit of a, a, bit of a thing before. <laughs> <laughs> Off air. Um, and Michaela's like, oh he's old he's like 40 and we're all like wait a minute we're we're in our 30s i apologize (laughs) i'm almost in the 30 club so i'll be there soon but yeah i remember being at your age or or younger and staring at my closet and wondering what i could wear Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't look good enough and going to a career and educating myself like to the ump because i wasn't good enough and yeah, and I cancel plans all the time. And I, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. There's a lot of perfectionist disease around. Oh, absolutely. I did that last week. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's still prevalent in my life. Like, it's still an ongoing thing I'm working on. But, you know, it's just, especially when you are recovering from an eating disorder, that's tough. Because yes. you're thinking about it every day. When you put on weight, you're like, I hate this. Because when you... When I was losing weight, obviously unhealthily, but you know, everyone's like, oh, you look so great. Oh, isn't that the worst? And, yeah. and then that fuels you. You're like, okay, so people like me better, thinner. Yeah. So, okay, like, let me keep getting skinnier. And I look back at these photos and I, I looked sick. I'm like, I don't even look good. Like that looks, I look ill. Like my eyes were sunken in. I had no energy. Um, like it was obviously contributing back into my mental health as mm-hmm. well. Like it just was, but I struggle even though I'm in recovery from that, um, I still struggle. And I've struggled with um, restricting food and anorexia since probably about 11 years old. Um, So, and it's kind of something that's come in and out of my life throughout my whole life, but that's a hard one. It's a really hard one, especially in today's world with, you know, everything being posted and you want everything to be perfect. But I think this past year, my travels have helped me on that because I went from being on TV every day. So having makeup, hair done, you know, dressed every day. And that was, I loved that. Like that, I thought that was me. And then I take off to Australia and I don't wear makeup for like seven months. I don't do my hair and I've never felt more confident. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, and I was just like, I, I almost feel better today, like without makeup. And it's, um, 
yeah, it's a nice feeling, but it's, it's a, it's a process. Cause some days you're like, and then some days you're like, yeah, I love myself. Well, and I think there like a, a lot of people that are sexually abused have issues with eating and it, it's something that you can control. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, especially when I was in the height of my depression and anxiety, um, and now PTSD, um, I, that was, I couldn't control any of that, but I could control what I ate mm-hmm. and what I didn't eat. And, and then you get all of this positive reinforcement exactly. that you look great. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was tough because I just kept being like, oh no, like, well, people are saying you look good. You can't gain weight now. And then being on TV didn't help that. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking at yourself all the time. It just, it's tough on you when you are a perfectionist and you have, you know, body dysmorphia and you already have issues and stuff. And it just, it all gets to you. And it's just, it is, it's a really, that's probably one of the hardest things is my body images that I have to deal with today. We were talking um, before a couple days ago about returning back to work. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like I said in the beginning, I'm loud and proud about wanting you back yeah. on air because you are so unbelievably good at it. You interview so well and people really open up to you. And re- realistically, you should be the one running a podcast. And, <laughs> like, um, and you said, well, thanks, because I, d- I don't always feel like that. Will you go back on air or where are you at with wanting to either return or realizing that maybe that's actually just not the best? Yeah, I don't. I haven't decided because I broadcasting is something I wanted my whole life. That is, that was my dream. That was my dream career. That is something I always wanted to do. And so when I did it, I was so happy, but then my mental health. And so I'm like in this place where I'm like, okay, but I thought I'd be happy because I'm starting my career. But then my mental health just kept declining and declining and declining. So I'm like, so the thing I wanted is making me feel so awful. And you know, it was just the stress of the job was a lot. Um, it just, so I don't know. It's just, I do really, really love it. Um, but, you know, now that I have taken a step back, I always, I guess I always looked at success by being someone. Mm-hmm. And now that's changed for me. Is I'm like, I don't need to be someone. Mm-hmm. I can just be me and do you what I... You are someone. You is someone. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I just had to get that out of my head. So I'm not sure if I'll return. Right now I'm still have a little bit of the travel bug, even right. though there's COVID. Um, but yeah, no, traveling was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. And it just put a lot of things into perspective. What is it that you love most about it? You're taking off a couple days from now. Um, you actually, by the time the cast is released, you will be on, you'll be over there. You're yep. flying out to the East Coast. Yeah, I'm going to. What is it? Yeah. What is it that you love so much about traveling? Why is it so healthy for you? I don't. I don't know. I feel like anytime you're somewhere, it just feels like an escape. Like you just like don't have to face reality. And I know I'll eventually have to face reality. Of course, we all have to. And you're still doing a lot of the work yeah, while I'm, you travel. Yeah, of course. And I'm, you know, I'm still in therapy and, you know, I'm keeping up with all this. But um, it, it really kind of made me realize who I am or who I want to become. And, you know, meeting people from around the world was incredible. And you just kind of get influenced by them. And and when you're traveling on your own, like, you, you kind of have to fend for yourself. Like, if, if you're not talkative, like, you're not making friends. Mm-hmm. Like, you gotta, you gotta, this is all on you. So that really changed. And I was like, and then people were like, oh, yeah, you're always like, you're not shy. And like, all this stuff I thought about myself, people are like, no. Mm-hmm. So... 
it was really like other people telling me like and people that I didn't know because it's one thing to hear it from people in your circle that you talk to all the time um, but when you've just met these people and they're kind of saying these things to you you're like oh maybe it is true right those first impressions yeah I, I love traveling I think you probably agree is like when you meet people you realize that every life is fine yeah like you can choose to live any way that you want exactly. whether it's here or there or whatever and you you don't ever judge people for their lifestyle so why do you you feel judged for yours exactly and that's yeah and that's we're our own biggest critic right mm-hmm. and that's yeah something I've definitely deal with is that I just yeah criticize myself that inner voice bit. yeah you talked about having a rough time in Australia for a bit. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Um, so I went, basically I had finished treatment. Um, my payments stopped. So I decided I wasn't going to return to work, but I had no plan. Um, and my best friend was traveling in Australia. And one day my mom just says, go. And I was like, and I'm a very indecisive person. And it was immediate. I was like, okay. And I just booked a one-way ticket and I was gone less than a month later. And when I got there, it was like not soon after. Like this is pretty soon after like I'm fresh out of treatment. Like I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm still in a pretty fragile state. This is, It's just been a lot. So I got there and I got better. But like, um, but because I was leaving for a year, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't want to be on meds. Because I couldn't afford to bring a year's worth of medicine with me. And so I was like, and so, well, my mom thought I was on meds. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm on meds. And then I'm like, and she's like, okay, so you got all your meds for your trip. And I'm like, so I'm not on those anymore. Um, It's too expensive. I can't bring it with me. So, and then that's when I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I'm, I don't need them. And then there was in uh, February, I just became back to where I was a year ago back to isolating myself spiraled out of control like the suicidal thoughts were so so bad like Mm -hmm. there was a day that I really thought I was going to do it in Australia like I there was there was points in Australia I didn't think I would come home and I remember I again talked to my mom and she was just like Michaela you need to take medicine she goes you're not living Unless you take your medicine, you're not living a life. You're just going through it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And so I brought a little bit of medicine with me just in case. You know, I wanted to tell my mom. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring these with me in case I need them. Um, And I went back on them. And it's I didn't tell anyone because these aren't, you know, these are travelers. And I got close to them. But it wasn't I didn't discuss my mental health with um, maybe a few of them. But and it was funny about a month into me taking my meds, I had multiple people come up to me like what's new with you like you just something's different they're like you're just so much happier and they're just like they're they're like we can't quite figure it out but something's just different about you and I was like that was what I was like okay I need to be on meds Mm -hmm. and that thank god someone said that to me because I'd probably be off again um, because I would have gone to a good place and gone off again I would have continued that pattern so I am so, so grateful to those people who said, who noticed that difference in me because I didn't even notice it. And I love that your mom said that's half a life. Like that's yeah. not living a life. And there was, I, Glennon Doyle, I always look to her Instagram and whatever. And she kind of mentioned about 
um, when she was off meds, she has all of these emotions and she wanted to be an advocate and she wanted to change the world, but she couldn't mm-hmm. because she was so depressed. Yeah. But now she's on meds and she can be that amazing, yeah. you know, wonderful, charismatic leader. Oh, yeah. If I wasn't on meds, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without like probably bawling my eyes out and like full panic attack. So, no, it's completely changed my life. Like, absolutely. Like, I, I didn't realize how bad my anxiety was until I actually felt it go mm-hmm. and I was like oh this is what you're supposed to feel like like I was like carrying this like elephant on my chest every day and it was like ah oh, I just like and but I, you just live like that right and you just think that's the norm and then once all of a sudden you go medicine and you you know you're in therapy and you learn a lot of um, coping mechanisms and I'm like all of a sudden it's like my anxiety is going away and I'm like oh this is a lot better like this is a much better life so, um, yeah, if, if you're struggling with meds, I, I, it's hard. I was lucky. I found meds pretty quickly, but I know that's not the case for a lot of people. They have to try a lot of them, but it, it just, it's, there's nothing wrong with taking them. And mm-hmm. that took me so long to figure out. And I just wish it didn't because I probably could have saved myself quite a bit of, uh, trouble. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the anxiety and panic attacks mm-hmm. because people who don't have anxiety or don't know somebody well, um, you know, closely and intimately that anxiety and panic attacks are legit. Yes. They are a real thing. And sometimes, you know, we'll say, well, I have anxiety about going to the mall, mm. you know, and you're like, no, yeah and we're trying to change that message like it's not you you can have anxiety you're not or you you can be anxious but you don't have anxiety right so can you talk a little bit about what they're like for you for the listener yeah um that's actually yeah for someone because I my best friend um had um a while a few years ago was going through quite a bit of anxiety and when she told me that I was like I I don't know what that means like I didn't know And then a few years later, here I am completely crippled by it. But yeah, anxiety is like, I just, I just didn't want to go anywhere because I just like, I was just overthinking everything. It just, I felt like my chest was restricted. I had stomach aches. I'm sweating all the time. Like it, you get a whole body like reaction and it was just like, everything was too overwhelming. Even the smallest things or like I would you know, I lost an earring one day and I just completely like went into a panic attack because it's just like, you can't, it just takes over you and you really just can't control it. Um, I've learned a lot of amazing breathing techniques that, um, yeah, thank you to my therapist who is really like, those are uh, like, who knew that just breathing will just calm you down. But Mm -hmm. no, anxiety is really crippling and it wasn't until it went away that I, realized what a burden and a weight it was and the panic attacks were happening daily and it just multiple times a day there was days where I was at work and then I I had there was this little room that was empty at the office and I would tell my boss I'd be like hey I have to go in there like I just and then I'd come out of there and I'd be like I can't do the cast tonight and I'm so so lucky I had a boss who understood mental health because had I not I would have had a completely different experience mm-hmm. I probably would have been fired a long time ago um but because I had a boss who understood mental health and I could go up to her and be like I am so anxious I'm gonna have a panic attack and she was like she got that because that was like that it would be like me coming and be like oh, I have a migraine I can't do the cast mm-hmm. you know 
Um, and so it's unfortunate because I was in a really bad place while I was like on TV. So I did miss a lot, but, um, I'm very thankful I had someone who understood, um, what it was like and how you really can't function when you're in that state. Yeah. I think like obviously bringing awareness because you didn't have, you weren't aware before that. And I think too, like being on this cast and talking about it, a lot of people will be like, wait a minute, I think I have anxiety. Yeah. 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 It's uh, pretty crazy. And then when, when I was in therapy, we had, um, it was called the Sud scale. And so you get this thing and every day you come in there and you say, basically grade your anxiety. So 10 being the highest, one being the lowest. And it was amazing. Like every day I'd be at a 10 walking in there, even though I was familiar with the place every day, but eventually it crept down and crept down and crept down. And it was really nice to see. And it's just, even just like talking about things that I think that's really what helped me most is like, oh my God, I went to therapy for the first time and I'm able to talk about this Mm -hmm. and like, just get it off my chest and like, you know, process it for the first time in my life. Um, Helped a lot of the anxiety and um, panic attacks go away, which is really nice. But I, I still get overwhelmed. I have poor coping skills, which I'm working on. But, you know, that can really, when you have poor coping skills, that can really elevate into a panic attack or, yeah, into anxiety. And so I'm working on it, but it's, 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 it'll be forever. And it's, I don't even know, I don't, I feel like you can't describe it to someone who doesn't have it. Like, it's just, it's just like the sensation that takes over your body and you just can't do it. You just can't. So for somebody who, like, and I think you did a great job of describing yes, it. Yes, um, did. For people who just can't quite wrap their head around it, but want to be there for somebody mm. who is, you know, maybe that person is the friend who yeah. gets asked, you know, I need help. And they're standing there like, I don't, I don't get it. What for you is the best thing that somebody can say in that moment to, to be there and to actively support you, even if they don't quite get it? Um, that's a good question. I think basically, if you don't understand, you almost have to ask the person, how can I help you? What do you need help with? I will do it for you, but you have to communicate with me. Because that's what my mom did. She goes, okay, so what are your issues? Like, what do we need to get you help for, right? So I think that would be the case, um... I would think, I don't know. That's a hard question. It's just, every, and every, every case is so different. Mm-hmm. Everyone is so different, but I think just how can I help you? Mm-hmm. What can I do to like make this easier for you? Right. I think listen, well, something I'm working on all the time is just listening because when people around me are struggling or somebody is coming and asking for help, I go into just I want to help yes. a million ways as fast as possible. And here's everything I know about this. And I just like, I talk too much. I need to sit back and just listen. And yeah, I know that's something that, that, that I work on all the time oh, because I almost have this like anxious energy to just, you want to fix it. it. I want to yeah. fix yeah. it. Yeah. And or sometimes I, you can't fix it. And you it. can't fix no. it. And I understand I can't fix it. But that's but maybe your anxiety too. It's like <laughs> no. you want to fix it, right? And that's a natural human response. Of like course. we want to help people, but sometimes we don't know how to help people. And it is hard because even as someone 
who does deal with mental health and, you know, my friends who are like, oh, I feel really anxious. But like anxiety can be different for everyone. So what works for me may not work for you. So I, it's it's hard to, and you know, I, I just, breathing I found has been, and meditation has been when I'm in an actual paid of, or a state of panic or of um, anxiety is like, that's really what helps me. But that might not help everyone. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to find what works for you. Um, and it can be a process. Um, I've tried many different things, many different behavioral approaches. I've tried different therapists, you know, it's, it's like a pair of jeans. Like you got to try on a lot until you find a good fit. Right. That's so great. I love that. It's like a pair of jeans. I uh, have a family member didn't experience any type of anxiety or depression throughout his entire life, went to the hospital, um, with, extreme depression, the stomach pains that Mm -hmm. you explain, they thought something was wrong with his stomach. Um, he was, you know, in his late eighties and a nurse said, you know, he's just, he's just old honey, like just like kind of just let him go. And, um, through meds at him, you know, therapists, all of these different things. And they just weren't a fit right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And then it feels like a fail. It feels like, well, I'm not better now. It feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. But you just got to keep trying. You, you do. Yeah. It's like a process of self-discovery. It really right? is. Yeah. Because I remember going on, um, when I was living here in Lidminster, I did eventually go on some meds at one point just because um, I was just, yeah, it was just too much for me. So I did end up going to the doctor and I remember going back about a month later and being like, yeah, so I'm still like, I know like takes a while but like I'm still not okay and he like looked at me he's like really like Mm. but I think that's also the problem is like we need more doctors who are specific to mental health because you know I was getting these meds and I remember going to my psychiatrist and I'm like yeah I take these meds and he goes well what time do you take those I said well I take them at night and he goes those keep you up Mm. and I hadn't been sleeping in months and of course my just my general doctor didn't tell me because they probably just aren't aware don't know don't know that no this is a medicine that has to be taken in the morning and so that's probably why it wasn't working for me um low on sleep on top of exactly yeah it was awful so it was just everything yeah so I think uh, I just want to see so much change (laughs) yeah more education especially in the healthcare field education I mean to give a shout out to the great doctors who are trying yes it, it has got to be unbelievably difficult. When when something goes wrong in my body, we know about it. Yeah. Because I get a blood test, the levels are crazy. Okay, perfect, we'll try this med. The levels stay the same. Let's try another one. It has got to be so overwhelming and so hard to help people when you may walk in and say, I feel great today. Yeah. But actually, the last two weeks, you felt like garbage. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like it, it is an evolving beast. It really is. Yeah, I journaled through um, my entire time in treatment and it's one day. It's literally, and I dated every page and it's one day. Oh, I've never felt better. Um, I can't wait. This is amazing. This is going to change my life. And literally the next day, it's like, I hate myself. I can't do this anymore. And it's just like, what happened in those like few out like overnight like it's just like you don't know like it's just it takes over you so I'm so glad that you brought up journaling and that's a tip that I always t- like tell my patients too is like you go especially with mental health you go into the doctor and someday like you you wait two weeks to get yeah. into the doctor and by that time you feel great but if you journal and if you have these like daily mm-hmm. daily kind of um I can't even think of the like word proof you have yeah proof, you have proof yeah. of like and then you go in and be like okay 
I don't need help right now. I think I don't need help right now, but I think I do because look at my journal yeah, and actually exactly. show them your journal. Yeah. And they'll take time if they're worth their salt. They'll take yeah. time to actually read it and and understand you. Yeah, I think journaling has been so, so beneficial for me. Even if I don't go and read it back, just to get it yeah. out sometimes yes. is just so important and it just feels really good. And like there's some posts that like, well, I was in Australia, I would journal just on my phone and, you know, so I've never gone back to read them because those are from some dark times in my life and I don't want to, but it, I had to get it out at the moment, you know? And so, but it is also good to go look back on and see your progress. Totally. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. You're, we're talking about medicine, obviously, and finding the right one. You're obviously an ad- advocate for therapy. And yes. we, I think the same with therapists. You know, some therapists may not work. Some, you know, are like you're fit and you just feel so comfortable. What are some of the the best lessons you've learned in therapy that are helping you day to day? Oh, so much. Breathing I have, you talked about. Yeah, breathing. Um, I think the biggest one is being kind to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, like I said, like my body issues are something, probably my most prevalent issue um, right now that I struggle with, but it's just like, you're so mean to yourself. And I've heard even my friends say that, but it's just like, it just comes off so naturally. And they're like, Michaela, like you're being so mean to yourself. So I've just had to be kind to yourself. And she goes, even if like you just set one goal for the day and you do it, like you've achieved something. And she goes, you're just like, she told me I was focusing on, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I did all these things, but then I'm like, oh, but then I did these things, you know, and these things are bad. And she goes, well, why don't we look at the positive that you did? Right. And it's like, everyone makes mistakes. You're not going to be perfect. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing and challenging my thoughts because, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll say, ah, I'm overweight. And then you have to go, am I? And you have to really challenge your thought. And it's for me, I've actually found it really beneficial to write down the thought write why I think that and then write it down and challenge it. And that's something I learned in therapy and that's been really beneficial to me. And they were so great. They laminated, I have in my wallet, like a little anxiety card on like how to breathe if I were ever into, uh, get into a panic attack or anxiety. So um, lots of techniques, but I think honestly, it's being kind to myself. Which when I think of Michaela Henschel, I think you're a sweetheart. You would never say what you say to yourself to other people. Yeah. So definitely don't say them to yourself. Yeah. yeah. And challenge those thoughts. I challenge love those the, words. Like it's we've done this will be our twentieth cast. And so many of what people say is, I gotta write it down, write it down, yes. write it down. Journaling, meditation, breathing, all of those um, tools keep coming up no matter the story, no matter the demographic, yeah. no matter the ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know for myself, I need to write things down more. But when we have a bad thought, you know, it's not always enough to just say, okay, well, I'm going to get rid of that thought and think about something yeah. else because it will come back. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to, like you say, write it down, challenge it, get it out and then put it away. Yeah, because exactly. Because if you don't, you think, oh, well, I'm positive. I just shoved it to the back. Yeah. It's still in the back. Yeah. It's still in the room. Yeah. Actually, a really good visualization um, exercise they taught us was a worry box. So you're you're supposed to close your eyes and anything if like not saying don't deal with it because they're like eventually you need to deal with it but say you're out and you're getting this like panic so you just close your eyes for a second maybe tap on yourself just to ground yourself and then you just say take all your problems and you put them in this box and then you like bury the box in your mind and it sounds so silly it sounds like something like imagination like children but I was like 
oh, this box works. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, it was just like the, the little things that you can do every day and just like in your own, like, and people don't even know that you're doing them can help you so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. I, there was a mental health capacity uh, building program that I used to be part of and, and grade four, we teach that. There is an actual physical box yeah. and we tell the kids to write down their worries and sometimes you can't deal with them right now, but you can write down your worries, put them in the worry box for a later date. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm so glad that we're actually teaching the, these kids now because yeah. I don't think they're going to struggle. Maybe they will, but I don't think they're going to struggle with as much mental health coping mechanisms as we do. No, I think, yeah, I think I've seen just with the stigma just coming away and it, it's becoming more talked about, but... I think that's not our problem anymore. It's not talking about it. It's it's, it's the action. The rest has to catch up. Yeah, the rest yeah. has to catch up. We're doing the talking, but now you need to um, give us what we need. And we need it in time. I can't wait six months to mm-hmm. be put in a hospital. I can't wait six months to see a psychiatrist. It's just, that's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Like, I, someone could take their own life within that time. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not fair. I think even in the last 10 years, I don't remember 10 years ago, talking about mental health, Mm-mm. seeing people talking not about mental public, health. Not in public, not in families. That, nope. Yeah, people shared, like people feel comfortable now to share mm-hmm. as much. Well, it's funny because I grew up with um, a siblings who have um, uh, mental health issues and, um, and other issues. but And so it was always like a very open conversation. But then when it came to me, mm-hmm. I still didn't want to tell anyone. I was like, even my family, I was like, well, I can't tell them like, like other people are going through this. Like I can't go through it too. Like for so long, I thought I was like the one lucky one who was like, oh, I don't have to deal with mental health. And then all of a sudden it just, but I was dealing with my whole life. I just didn't know it. I just was suppressing it. So it's, uh, it's an ongoing journey. To go back to, um, like you say, it's an ongoing journey. All of it's an ongoing journey to go back to, um, the abuse. Mm-hmm. What would you say to a woman who has been abused that maybe hasn't found the strength to tell somebody? You just took a great big deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> That's hard. Um, there's so much shame. And I still, one day, I think the biggest thing was when I realized I was a survivor, not a victim. And that really changed my life around because it, I didn't choose this. Someone else did this to me, right? I, I, I wouldn't have chosen this. No one would have chosen that. But I just had to basically stop shaming myself for something mm-hmm. I didn't do to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think for women, you need to realize that this is not your fault. No matter what, it's not your fault. And... I, I, since I've told my story, the amount of people in my immediate circle that I've known for years that have come out and said, me too, or I've been raped, I've been also sexually um, abused or violated. And I'm like, this is more people than like I could have ever thought. Like I hear, I thought I was like the only one. This is my deepest, darkest secret. Yet almost every second person in my life has been dealing with this. So I think it's important for for women to know that this is unfortunately very common and you can find someone that can relate with you. Um, And it's okay to speak up because it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, 
I'm like very thankful that you're sharing this because I think there's going to be a lot of women that'll be like, wait a minute, me too. Yeah. I think that's the most powerful thing to say is me too. Yeah. Well, it is, but the me too movement actually really triggered me. I think that's kind of what... I think it triggered a lot of people. Yes. And it it almost made... Because at the time I felt like, oh, I have to come out and tell my story because everyone else is, right? And I wasn't ready at the time. Um, But you kind of feel this like pressure because everyone else is doing it. And then you're just like... And, you know, I've been working on the news, so every story is about sexual assault and like, and then you just, and then I'm getting these flashbacks, right? And it's, it's hard. It's hard to be surrounded by it when you're going through it and when you have gone through it. So, um, but I would really encourage anyone to come forward because more people need to be held accountable and it's just, it's just happening way too much. And I've, I've seen this, uh, post, I think it was a sign and it said, how come every woman knows someone who's been raped, but no man knows a rapist? Right. And it's oh. like, so true, right? I'm like, how can I know so many women who have been sexually violated, yet no man I know has ever done any wrong? Like, mm. there's no way that that's happening. So, you know, these people need to be held accountable. And I think there needs to be more severe sentences. And um, yeah, basically, I just want to change everything. <laughs> well, I, th- I think you will. Yeah, like, I think is, this, this is just is the it, beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're taking off. What are your plans? It's a one-way ticket again for What's, you. Yeah. yeah. What's next for Michaela? I have no idea. I really don't. Um, one day at a time. And I think that's something I've never done before. I've always had goals in my mind where I was going next. Okay, well, this is going to be my next stepping stone. And for once in my life, I don't know what that is. And I feel at peace with that. Well, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I mean, I'm I'm getting up there, and I'm almost uh, twenty. Getting up there, (laughs) like I feel. I know that there's no timeline, but I feel like you know I am. Yeah, Yeah. I am. You know, I do need to get back into work and stuff. But you know, for now, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been, and I just feel really free. I want to challenge that though, because I saw a post. I think it was yesterday, and it was you know you work for. I'm gonna butcher the the numbers. You work for. Until you're 67, you're retired for 11 years. Most people, I think, ex- age expectancy mm-hmm. is like in your 70s. And I think too often we get caught in that, well, I'm almost 30, so yeah. I should be married with two yeah. kids. They should be a boy and a girl. I should be a homeowner. I, I should. Should. Have, I should. Should. The should. 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 Disease. Should. Yeah. The should disease, you know, and yeah, if we are retired for 11 years and you spend so much time working, it's like, well, maybe we do need to do things the other way a little and have more people like yourself who are working against the grain of that societal pressure to... And how much do we need? How much do we need? And that's what I've realized. So I went from being, I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty, I like, or... I'm less materialistic now, but I'm still a girly girl. I like all my, I like my things. I like whatever. Um, But traveling just, I didn't need it. And I was so happy, you know, like you just kind of realize that you don't need a career. You don't need to be someone to be happy. Like that actually might make you unhappy. Mm -hmm. So why don't you find something that actually makes you happy and continue doing that? Because I truly don't think I'd be as happy as I am right now had I not gone traveling. Well, and I think too, like if you feel at home in your body and at home in yourself, you don't need to fill up the holes. Yeah. Right? So you fill up the holes with with whatever you are. Um, So I think that it goes with getting therapy and it goes with getting help and it goes with coming home to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible feeling. We filled our holes with 
And we're still working on filling yeah, our are, holes. That's right. but, <laughs> it's not an end process. <laughs> we definitely filled some of the gaps in our life, Kristen and I, with, and she's the one that um, taught me, and I don't know if you've heard us say this before, but legacy over resume. Mm. And I spent my 20s doing whatever it took for goal, 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 yes. goal, goal. Mm-hmm. Because if I had this fantastic resume, one, I would have security in that, but two, people would have a reason to like me. Yeah. Oh, wow, you can do so much. Oh, wow, you're so strong. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. you're so busy and you keep all the balls in the air. You're an excellent juggler. Yeah. And that was how I valued myself was people saying, well, you're just really good at a lot of jobs. And I would have that to fall back on. Yeah. At- I don't have to hustle f- for my worth. Again, mm-hmm. coming from Chris, I just why I hang out with her. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know so that kind. you are a hustler. I've never met someone who works as hard as you, Jesse. Like when I used to think, like I used to be like, oh my god, I love it. But now that I've known her more, yeah. I check her on it all the Gosh, time. Yeah. yeah, and see, and that's the thing is, I wouldn't have known that about you. I just I thought the same thing. I'm like damn, this girl's impressive. Like she yeah. can do it all. She right? can do it all. She but can, sometimes but that you is don't need hurting. to. That's yeah. Right. Like I think everyone comes to realize they're hustling for mm-hmm. their worth. It's not necessarily for, I don't know, a goal or whatever. It's hustling for your worth. And it, that doesn't come with hustle. No, it doesn't. And I, when I came back from Australia and I was trying, you know, obviously with COVID going on, it's a little hard to get jobs, but I was, I've been applying to jobs and, you know, and stuff back in the media field. So I've been applying to a lot of jobs since I've been back. And I remember it's not getting callbacks and it's hard to get back in. So I almost thought, I'm like, oh, did I make a mistake going to Australia? Like, should I have continued my career? Like, because I'd be like in it now, right? And I remember saying this to someone and that person said, when you're on your deathbed, what are you going to look at? Mm-hmm. Your travels or your days at work? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, you just answered it for me. Thank you. And there were, I think there were, we'd have to listen back, two or three shoulds, should, 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 yeah. should. We, when we speak at, um, you know, we're lucky that people sometimes want to hear some things we have to say. <laughs> One of the last, it doesn't really seem to matter what they ask us to speak about. We always end with the regrets of the dying. Yeah. And that's something that you kind of found. So Yeah, there was a nurse that commissioned a study and um, she looked at, like she was a palliative care nurse and she looked at um, the regrets of the dying, like the things that keep coming up when you're dying. And it was like, there was five of them, but it I, didn't matter. This was the interesting thing, though. It didn't matter age. It didn't no. matter where they lived, what country, or ethnicity, eth- or whatever. Nothing. It's like the same things keep coming up, and it was. Um, I wish I wouldn't have worked so hard. I wish I spent more time with my family. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other th- things that we. It really like we need to live for our legacy, and we need to live for. I this is really morbid, but when I like I've almost died like three times in the last five years, but like I always three times in the last year. (laughs) Well, yeah, like my health has been a struggle, and I realize that I am kind of working for my my eulogy. Like I want people to remember me for what I want to be remembered Mm -hmm. for, not that I worked so hard, not that I got this certificate or whatever, right? Like I want my kids to be proud of me and I want my family to be proud of me. Absolutely. And it was funny yesterday I was at um, a little get together uh, for a friend and um, I didn't know many people there. So they're like, oh, like, what do you do? And it was like a room literally of people being like, oh, I'm in my master's or I'm starting my PhD. And I'm like, and then my friend goes, this is Michaela. She's a free spirit. (laughs) I'm like, like, I guess that's me now, but I kind of love it. Like it's Mm -hmm. just... 
I would rather do that than be sitting in an office every day. Right. You have to figure out yourself now. Yeah. And, and you know what? When I was in treatment, I was the youngest by over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And every single person in there said, I wish I would have done mm-hmm. what I'm doing now at your age. Because they said they've wasted so much of, you know, their life that 20 years they can't get back. Um, of them living in this, like, denial, in this, you know, supp- suppressing thing. So I'm very grateful. Although I probably could have gotten help sooner, I'm glad I did it when I did. When did we become people who have to apologize for what makes us happy? You yeah, know? and what we're doing. Yeah. Like, really, you're not accountable to anyone but yourself. I know. But I always, I think it's just hard because... Um, I was just always, I just put so much pride in what I did, mm-hmm. right? So, oh, I'm a news anchor. Well, and you were damn good at it. Oh, thank you. And yeah. it just, and that, you know, people would be like, oh, that's a cool job. Right. And, you know, and it was just like, and then when I was in Australia and I'm working at a cafe and then it's just like, well, like people, they just don't react to you the same. So then you're like, oh, well, do I have to be someone? But, but I'm happy or not. Right. We got to quit worrying about the reactions we get from things like that. Like, this is Michaela. She's a free spirit. It's like, yeah, you know what I just did for seven months? I traveled through Australia. You know what I'm doing on Friday? I'm catching a one-way ticket out to the East Coast. Yeah, I'm killing life. Like, we're just enjoying life. I think the two things that I, I, I hope I've never said this, but the two things that I make myself a promise that to not say to people that I I meet is a comment on their weight, Mm, obviously, like even my good friends, if they lose weight, I'm sorry, I'm not going to comment on it. No. Because I, I have been there and I have people like when I lost a lot of weight, people are like, yeah, you look great. And I'm like, this is the unhealthiest that I've ever been. That's the worst thing you can say to someone. Yeah. So I'm not going to comment on their weight and I'm not going to ask what they do. I agree. I think we need to stop asking people what they do because I, for so long, put, I was like almost embarrassed of what I did if it wasn't something that I was proud of, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm still making money. Like it's still got a hustle, you know, like, and that's fair. I'm like, still a human being. Yeah. Even if I worked at Tim Hortons, I should be just as proud of saying that, that as I worked at, you know, Stingray Television. So it's, yeah, I think we need to stop putting so much worth in that. And it's just like, ugh. I know, it's just casual conversation. I think people ask that. I mean, I ask that question, what do you do? But I want to know, like, how you spend the majority of your time. Yeah, it's not your employment. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not your employment. It's like, yeah. what do you do? What do you love doing? Yeah. What's your well, favorite? I remember, like, when I was recovering from stroke and all that kind of stuff, and I, I wasn't a nurse anymore. Ugh. And it was, was like, so it you. was so hard yeah. for me. And people always ask, like, what do you do? What do you, you know, and I was like, uh, well, I... I'm a nurse on leave and you know what I mean? It's like, who am I now? Which is what you're essentially going through. And that was, that was, um, that happened to me too. When I, um, took a leave to go into treatment, um, not that Lloydminster is a huge place, but because I am in the media, you know, I'd get a lot of messages from, you know, just strangers like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Are you coming back? What happened? And just even people that like, that I, that I've like more of acquaintances. I can't believe the amount of people that will just message me and be like, so, like, what's going on? And I'm like, that's none of your business, wow. first of all. And they're like, so, like, what are you doing? Like, do you have a job? Like, how do you make money? And I'm like, that's none of your business. Like, I'm living my life. You live yours, you know? And that's okay. But I, I've just, that was like... Yeah, and just because you're in the media doesn't mean you need to be accountable accountable to any viewers. No, but it was like, I was getting messages. I'm like, are you ever wow. coming back? Are you like... And I'm just like... Mm. I think sometimes, and I mean, I put my foot in my mouth and I don't always have the perfect tact and, and things like that. Like, 
I, my grandparents were like, where is the, where's Michaela? Like, where on earth is she? Because it was like, I think everyone missed you. She was so good at her job, you know, but sometimes we have like a weird tact way of going about those things. Yeah. Like we're not always the most complimentary, but it's like, where are you? Yeah. And I think it's, we miss you. Yeah. I think it's the way people said it. I I know they had good intentions, but it's just the way it came across. And, you know, I don't owe anyone anything, but at that time I felt like I did. And that's one of my big regrets is when I was in treatment, when I came out of the hospital, the Alberta hospital, I made this social media post like, oh, I just got out of the hospital because I Mm -hmm. felt like I had to tell people because everyone's messaging me like, Mm -hmm. where are you? Like, what's happening? Like, you're just not at work. You're like, you're in Edmonton. I don't get it. And so I made this post and I ended up deleting it because I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, just, we need to stop asking people. Like, like I, I know that like you need to check in with people, but Unless that's your place, just don't do it. It's not, it can trigger people. It can, it's just, and then it just, you know, like me, it just made me come out when I wasn't ready. Right. And that's something I wish I could redo. Yeah. We can be there for people, but not necessarily ask them their business. You just need to help them. It doesn't, it's regardless of the situation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Something I love when I have been going through tough times has always just been the messages of like, Hey, just a reminder, thinking of you. You know, I think you're spectacular people, you know, like a Laura Lee Marin type of, mm-hmm. of she's not asking any questions. Yeah. She's not, give me the goods. She's just like, hey, just a reminder. I think you're great thinking of you mm-hmm. and leave it there. And then it's like, it opens the door, but you also can just say, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. And leave it at that. Yeah. I think I sent you a couple. Of- I was actually just going to say, I get those messages from you all the time and they yeah. like literally make my day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think- don't need to know how like what your thought process is, but I want you to know. Yeah. You always you. send texts uh, yeah. like checking in. Yeah. We're, That's yeah. It. We checking check in. in lots. Yeah. So you don't really need to, you know, say anything. Yeah. You just need to Tell say. me what your thought process yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Because I want to feel, well, people have, like I call it social currency. People want to know so that if they're out and about sometimes that they can say, oh, I've talked to so-and-so. Yes. Oh, I've, yeah. And See, I so, never thought, I never think mm-hmm. of that because I'm like the opposite of that. I don't ask anything. Maybe I should ask more. <laughs> we just had, I don't know if you heard, Michaela, a, like an awful tragedy. Uh, a boy passed away. Yeah. Um, he, I think, drowning mm-hmm. um, out with his friends. And I got probably yeah, in the river uh, just very recently. And um, I got probably three different messages from People I hardly know. Yeah. Hey, did you hear what happened? Like, do you know any details? Because I think people, you know, I'm from here. I know quite a few people through my jobs and and things like that. So it's like, well, they were quizzing to find out if I knew more so that they could pass that on. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I did have, you know, some information because we had checked in actually um, had even um, offered to go in and help look and, and spend some time there if there was anything that we could do. But those three people specifically, they're listening to the cast that now they're like, she outed me. (laughs) Can't believe she, yeah. And I, I knew information that I didn't share because I'm like, no, you're going to use that as social currency because you want to know so that when somebody asks, you have a little bit more information. Yeah. And that's what I noticed as well is, um, I had some friends telling me, oh, this person's been asked me about you. And it's kind of more of like, they know that person, they kind of know me, but they know that person better. So they're fishing for the information. And I'm like, ugh, don't like, 
I'm not going to ask about your business. Like, don't get in mine. Yeah. I'm like, this is very personal. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to just send you a message and be like, oh, well, let me start at the beginning. Like, oh, I was sexually assaulted right. and then I had anorexia and then all depression. Like, what, what do you want me to say? Right. And I think that's so important to say that you can ask for help and you can say whatever you want to say, yeah. but you don't have to do that either. Like, you don't have to be you know, so vocal and you like, that's whatever you choose to, mm-hmm. to follow your path. That's your path. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, yeah, no, and not everyone I think, yeah, needs to come out and tell their story. And that's a totally for me. I've just, that's what helped me, um, is learning other people's stories. And so I, that's, if I can just help one person with my story mm-hmm. and that's just, that would literally make my life. Um, I think you will help countless yeah. people. You know what is crazy is that when the first time, and Tyler and Jordy are really where things started yes. for us. Yes. Jordy, actually, down, when yeah. we saw his mom talk about like how courageous Jordy was. And so, yeah, that's that's where we started. So we sit down with Tyler. I remember we were up in the top building at Synergy. We got that um, kind of an empty space, and we were sitting there with him, and he was nervous. And he said, you know, if this helps one person, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you met Tyler and you're Tyler's one. Oh, like full circle. Yeah. I think you're Tyler's one person. Yeah. And Tyler helps. <laughs> Let's, he helps, helps a million, yeah. but million people. Right but. there. I mean, the power of that. And it's so brave of you and so strong of you to admit and to also recognize, you know, like the emotional intelligence it takes mm-hmm. to recognize Tyler said this, I'm going to now take it and the bravery and courage to take that and apply it to your life. So, I mean, Tyler's bravery and then your own bravery to say like, I'm, I'm worth it. Yeah. I am worth it. Yeah. There's a quote and I'm going to butcher it again. I think I just shared it on my why. Um, telling your story again, I'm going to butcher it, but telling your story is like a lighthouse to people that are about to hit the same rocks. Mm. And Ooh, I love that. Yeah. It is a good one. It is a good one. Um, and you are a lighthouse. You are an absolute light. And so like I, you're yeah. bringing like you're bringing tears to my yeah, eyes because it's a it's a full. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she looks so good. Um, but yeah, it's a full circle moment. It really is. And I have to say, like my recovery journey began because of you, too, and what you've done for this community and because you guys told people's stories. So. Oh. And, and we I get know to do what we do because of people like you guys. Yes. Like we par- we see, feel this so is, honored. We say this lots. Like we do the podcast and it's a selfish thing for us because we do the podcast because we want to sit down and have deep, meaningful mm-hmm. conversations. We superficial conversations, not our thing. We want to get down yeah. and have coffee and have conversations like this. Like you just sat across the table from us and shared your most vulnerable truths and you have made our lives better. And you, I mean, there's a million things we feel to take so from, that, honored. from this conversation. The shoulds. Yeah. I am going to think of three different, I try after every podcast to write down a few things of like this, I need to apply to my life so that we're actively trying to, you know, learn from, from these amazing people like yourself that sit down and there's a lot of shoulds yeah. that I fall into and the shoulds got to go. They got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take that one from this podcast. I'm going to get rid of the shoulds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's ideas from you. But no, thank you so much for coming down. So at, like, as we close, I always want to know, everyone, me and Jesse always want to know people's whys. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your whys? Why do the tough work? 
Why, why show work up against the grain? Why show up for yourself? Why do that tough work of walking into those, you know, like the therapy centers, the because when you feel good, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not always going to feel bad. And I remember there was a stay in Australia and I was sitting in a field with my friend and it, we, we weren't talking about anything. We were literally just having a picnic and I just began sobbing. And I said, I could have ended my life how many times before I got here? And the fact that I am so happy right now and I would have missed out on this and I would have missed out on this, the most amazing year of my life because I didn't think that I was worth it. I didn't think I could get through it, but I did. And that's my why because I just, I'm worth it. I just, I don't want to miss out. I want to continue living my life. I don't want to live full of anxiety and depressed all day every day and so it just it was that moment I I still I was just like I could have missed this I could have missed so much and I'm so glad I did it Michaela's why is Michaela yeah it's yourself I guess yeah yeah and by saying that you are helping so many other people that are going Mm -hmm. to miss out on their why going to miss out on their life Mm -hmm. And so oh, thank you, Michaela. And do the tough, do the tough work. Like it's an hard. amazing, you're, like you're worth it. Yeah, you are worth it, and it takes balls and courage and strength to work on yourself. Yeah, a lot. We like to push that to the back, and I am what I am. Yeah. And you know, you're working against the grain with your dreams and what makes you happy, and you're working against the grain with being better version of yourself. Yeah, well, actually, you're leading a path. You are. I think you're not even working against the grain. You're yeah. You're leading a path, and you are a light. So thank you very much, Michaela. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Michaela. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Michaela, for sharing your story to help others. Today's podcast has a trigger warning. If you or someone you know is in need of help, please remember that in Saskatchewan you can dial Healthline eight one one. It's a confidential twenty four hour health and mental health and addictions advice, education, and support telephone line available to you. It is staffed by experienced and specifically trained registered nurses, registered psychiatric nurses, and social workers. If you need immediate assistance, call 911 or go to your nearest hospital.